0: Hello everyone, this is Zoe Midler, the producer and host of Not a Rocking Chair Librarian podcast. This podcast features conversations about the role of K-12 librarians and the changes and shifts taking place in the profession and how librarians are navigating these changes in their roles as information professionals, literacy advocates, and promoters and guardians of intellectual freedom. This is episode 31, Good Trouble with the York Central Band Book Club. In episode 30, Book Bans, Easy Targets, I mentioned the York Central band Book Club as a success story, a bright spot, so to speak, in reversing a curriculum, resources, materials, and book ban. A bit of background. In September of 2021, the York Central School Board decided to ban a number of materials and books deemed, quote, too activist in nature and may lean more toward indoctrination rather than age-appropriate academic content, end quote. However, the school board rescinded the book ban as a direct result of York Central student activism. I wanted to learn more about the York Central Band Book Club journey, what motivated them to take action, and what members have experienced and learned through this process. And what advice do they have for other student activists pushing back against books bans and censorship? Joining me today are Renee Ellis, Patricia A. Jackson, and Ben Hodges, members of the York Central Band Book Club and the Panther Anti-Racist Union, known by the acronym PARU, P-A-R-U. Renee Ellis is an African-American and Jamaican-American junior at Central York High School, and she's the Director of Communications and Outreach for Peru. She and other student activists came together to protest the school board's decision to ban books. Renee and other Peru members spoke out and peacefully pushed for change. Eventually, the ban was reversed. In addition to being a student activist, Renee is an artist and aspiring entrepreneur active within several clubs and organizations. Patricia A. Jackson is a classroom veteran with 29 years of teaching experience. Patty currently teaches world literature and creative writing at Central York High School. A fierce advocate for the LGBTQIA community, Patty facilitates The Beautiful People, a student run club that creates safe spaces for teens, Identify as part of that marginalized community. She also helps out part time with Peru. Patty's fantasy novel, Forging a Nightmare, debuted in November 2021 and is described as delightfully heretical. The novel features a black led cast of characters because representation matters. Ben Hodge is the founder and faculty advisor of Peru. Ben's a 19 year Central York High School veteran teaching theater and speech classes. Ben's involved. Ben's been involved with the diversity programming at Central York High School since 2006, with a focus primarily on education, mediation, and social-emotional awareness. Ben has led community protests to speak out peacefully against York Central School Board's decision to ban books and curriculum resources. To follow my guests on social media and find links to other intellectual freedom advocates and organizations mentioned in this episode, visit the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian show notes, a wakelet collection. If you have a Wakelet account, just search for Not a Rocking Chair Librarian, and the collection should pop right up. Many of the resources mentioned in this episode were also discussed with guests in episode 30, so be sure to review show notes for that episode as well. And you can always follow me on Twitter, at ZMidler, at Z-M-I-D-L-E-R. Remember, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Welcome Ben, Patricia, and Renee to Not A Rocking Chair Librarian Podcast. Thank you for taking time out to join me today. I am so delighted to have this opportunity to speak with you all and I want to give a special thanks to Ben because um, he's been super patient and really flexible as we work to schedule this conversation. So thank you, Ben.
1: You're very welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Good. Okay, let's jump right in. Um, Ben, Can you tell us about the Panther Anti-Racist Union and its PARU is the acronym and sort of the birth of the York Central Band Book Club? Because when I've been doing research on you guys, I kind of see these things used interchangeably. And I just wondered, you know, how these groups are connected and, and, you know, who who's the ownership? I mean, is it Band Book Club or is it Paro?
1: Yeah, so actually it was, um, I created the Panther Anti-Racist Union uh, back in about 2020 uh, after the murder of George Floyd. um, Knew something needed to be done and in my kind of uh, growth work uh, as an educator wanted to create a safe space um, for discussions about uh, racial issues and social justice and what was going on in our country, but also just what was going on in our own school and community. So um, that uh, was part of my action item, the action step for that. Um, and so that's it was created before anything with the book ban actually started. So I think that's something that's important that we like to make sure we clarify and get out. Cause I don't know if that's gotten out there yet, that I think some people thought that we made this group in response to uh, the book ban, but actually it was created in response to the murder of George Floyd. Um, as so, I think that's important to, to note. And in terms of the CY ban book uh, club, That is uh, an organization uh, that was put together, a Twitter handle and a group that was formed from later on with the book ban after we had started protesting in September of 2020, uh, the community, as well as the student protests later in 2021, uh, that group came out after the banned book, um, the banned resource list became public. That entity is run by uh, two, a family, um, I believe Jamie Hill, Um, and Amanda Hill, uh, local, local CYSD parents. um, And they have students in, um, in the elementary, in the district. So we were actually, we're not a connected entity. However, we, um, you know, they formed after we uh, the Peru club um, and community was raising uh, with the protests.
0: Okay. So this explains why Jamie was my first contact in finding you. That's correct. Oh, okay. okay. Well, thank you for that. That kind of clears up a little bit for me. And I'm glad that you have the ability to make that distinction when things started in response to you know, wanting to create a safe space for conversations. And this sounds like it maybe was an offshoot.
1: That's correct. And I mean, I think Patty can also talk about this as well as an educator, both of us, you know, uh, I think any decent educator um, is interested in having real conversations with their kids um, so, uh, you know, yes, it was an action step for me. These conversations were already happening when they come up naturally. And when you're uh, an effective teacher, I, you know, your kids trust you and you're a trusted confidant and they come to you for help and with school and stuff like that. And then, and, and, you know, just wisdom or guidance. And that's the best, one of the best parts of the school, of um, being a teacher. But I would say that um, those conversations were happening in the class and I've really felt that Peru, uh, the Anti-Racist Union, was a way to um, expand those conversations to those people who were not taking uh, my acting classes.
0: Gotcha. Patty, did you want to add anything?
2: Um, No, just about the importance of creating those safe spaces for kids. Um, The pandemic's been extremely difficult, and mental health has been a real challenge for teachers and especially Mm. for kids who their home lives may not be the best necessarily. And that's why it's important for teachers to understand their other role besides just standing in front of the class and lecturing or doing a, your your instruction, that sort of thing. Being kids, being there for the kids, being that elder that they can come to and um, tell their stories without any fear of being judged. Very important.
0: Um, I agree and uh, I, I'm curious that you said, you know, do you have, an, you know, you have other roles, um, you know, I feel like that's being a bit challenged these days.
2: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much <nice. laughs>
0: Okay, um, and, I, and I'll, I'll try to remember to come back around to this, but I just feel like um, that's always been the case for educators, but there just seems to be a lot of controversy around doing something beyond standing up in front of the class and just sticking to the curriculum, which is something I can't imagine any teacher has ever done but there just seems to be a lot of um, discussion around that right now. And I'm sure you've been feeling it and hearing it.
1: I mean, Definitely. I would be very I, I would be very interested to hear um, Renee uh, share about that, because I think I think you're wise, Zoe, to ask that uh, to make that point. And I, I certainly feel that uh, there, there seems to be a little bit of a. Um, um you know, we're we're told one thing um oftentimes in a lot of our trainings, um, you know, relationships, relationships mm-hmm. is very big and, and and it should be. Um, and I think a lot of teachers struggle with, well, what does that really mean? Um, and, and I think I want to be very clear that you know, we're not in the business of telling, you know, children what to do, but we are in the process of of guiding and when a kid comes to us, that we a trusted adult is something that I'd like to to, to use a lot, and and I think that we're called to do that sometimes, um, and connect kids to where they need to get connected. So that's what I would say about that. It's really it's it, I think that that's happening, but I'd really love to hear what Renee has to say in her experience because she's the student, she's the one who is you know, probably has teachers that are just, you know, direct instruction only and don't forge it. How important I mean that's what I'm interested in is what do you think, Renee? How important is that relationship with with educators? Um, with what's been your experience with that?
3: Yeah, so thank you for that. But um personally, my experience, I've had like you said, teachers who stick by the book, who stick to the curriculum. And I've had teachers who are more focused on relationships, more focused on being like, like you said, the trusted adult for children. I personally think that the worst way to do school is just read a book. I feel like there you can learn a lot from a book, you can learn a lot from curriculum, but it doesn't teach you how to think. It teaches you how to memorize, and it teaches you how to regurgitate information, but it doesn't teach you how to think. And teachers who reach out to their students, who develop relationships, teachers who go further than just giving you assignments tend to be the teachers that kids flock to the most, AKA Miss mm-hmm. Jackson mm-hmm. and Mr. Hodge. There are always students at their doors because they reach out and build relationships and you learn so much more from teachers like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I know mm-hmm. there are several teachers in our school at least who they reach out and they have um, relationships or they like want to talk to students and stuff like that. And they might not have the best opinions And I understand for some parents that could be concerning, which is totally fair, and I completely understand that. But I also think, at least from a student's perspective, that that can be a learning lesson too. Sometimes you have to learn how to deal with people who have the different opinions, who have those strange opinions that you look at them a little sideways. I think that's Mm -hmm. important part of learning, part part of growing, especially in this situation. We have parents from the district who are coming out saying these things that like you can't even imagine it's like you can't even make some of the stuff up that they say and how do you deal with it like especially as a young student like how do you handle conflict how do you handle aggression how do you handle adults who just come at you a certain way I feel like that's through having relationships and talking with people and learning from adults I've never been in a classroom where I've learned and really gained information I didn't get a chance to ask teachers questions get life experience and to grow outside of just a textbook and curriculum. It's important, but it's not everything.
0: Well, Renee, you've skipped me ahead about five questions I wanted to ask, (laughs) but but I'm gonna do it because we're in that mode right now. So I do wanna bring up, you know, at a recent school board meeting in the Katy Independent School District in Texas, I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but a parent said, quote, taxpayers should not be funding accessibility to porn for our students in the school (laughs) library. It has, and she went on to say, it has nothing to do with LGBTQ, and then a parent in your own district, which I know you've heard this a million times in a lot of interviews you have done, said, I don't want my daughter growing up feeling guilty because she's white. So, Renee, I know from reading about you that being civil and trying to find ways to conduct civil discourse is important. So, I guess, how do you remain civil in this situation, Um, which would be very difficult for me, I will say that, Um, but you know, how do you respond? I mean, I know you're trying to walk a fine line of having empathy and trying to understand the other side, but, you know, um, funding accessibility to porn for our students is a really tough one.
3: Yeah, it's it's hard, and that's actually something that I was going through recently. I was in a conversation in one of my classes, and it's like one of those self-paced classes. You kind of do your own work on the side, and the teacher checks in on you, and make sure that you're actually getting stuff done. But I was talking with some students and we were starting to get into like a politically divided situation. And stuff was said that I personally don't agree with. It wasn't as far as to what the people in the school board meetings are saying, because that's a completely different level of, not to be rude, but a little crazy. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to deal with people who, it's like those opinions where it's like, You can argue all day and you can argue all day with these type of people and no matter what you do, you will not win. They are stuck in their ways and they believe what they believe. I think it's less about being right and more about having that conversation. One thing that this entire book ban situation and being a part of Paru has taught me is that you can, you have power in being quiet. You have power in listening to people. Because oftentimes, if you let people talk themselves enough, they will trip their own self up, and you will see their falls.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: You see, like, where their information is not completely correct. But you can also see where they've gotten some truth, but in some way, in some translation, it just went wrong. Mm-hmm. It's It's important to look at those things. And it also helps you to have empathy for those people. I feel one part of having civil conversations and talking about these political divided issues is having empathy for people. Some people are scared, they're Mm -hmm. frightened, they feel attacked, they just have the wrong information, they are believing in something so badly, but I feel like some people know deep down inside that it's not true, but they still fight for it anyway because they've invested so much into it. Seeing all those things, seeing all those layers helps you to have empathy. So you're not coming as an attack. You're not coming as, well, you're wrong. It's more of, okay, I see where you are in this situation. And I, I see that you've gone through some things and some things are happening on your side with your communication, but here's my point of view. Here's what I see. And maybe you can learn something from this. And just having that back and forth is a part of civility, I feel like. So I'm going to circle back. So
0: was that your first reaction? I mean, all of you when you decided to take action, were you in that place of I want to be civil and I want to have empathy, or was it like, oh my God, they're banning books?
1: <laughs> oh, weird. I was, I was, uh, I was, I was disgusted. Mm-hmm. Um, I- I'll say that, and I was embarrassed, um, and you know, I think that. I agree with Renee and in terms of like we we have to empathize with these folks. But as we're we're progressing and seeing, uh, as we've gotten some distance from this, we've started to notice that this is clearly, this is a, uh, a an organized, uh, planned, you know, code worded, uh you know scapegoating uh, attack on education and free speech i think personally um Mm -hmm. and 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 so when you hear that person and those folks at our meetings that are saying things like this is pornography it shouldn't be in schools um well then there's a lot of things that shouldn't be in school that could be considered and first of all i don't think that meets the definition of pornography Mm -hmm. um and so i but you know to your question about you know how we felt um i was really disgusted and i was also confused i didn't understand what was going on it kind of hit our district a little bit early before a lot of the things or was happening in other places but it hadn't started to get reported um and so i was confused and frustrated and you know i knew something was wrong when multiple people other educators started to come to my room like on my planning period or at the end of the day and and basically say you know what are we going to do we need to do something this was back in 2020 originally we need to do something um because it got so bad in our place that you know this group of people making this noise at these meetings uh ran out um of a a speaker that was planning on speaking at our our district to for the educators on an act on, on a half day so that was, you know, what we needed to do was they were coming to me saying we need to do something, and so we we put together, I put together a protest um, back in 2020 um, to to start getting to at least say I really felt like we needed to draw a clear line in the sand and say that you know enough is enough. CYSD was our my original you know hashtag was enough is enough. That was the original 2020 <laughs> response. Um, Before we turned in any banned books, it was just enough is enough. This needs to stop. Um, And the original Peru members were a part of that. Uh, They've graduated. They were a part of that as speakers and presenters. Um, But that first event was the first response was to protest and Mm -hmm. to gather outside the school board meetings and 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 just draw attention to the fact that like yeah this doesn't represent these comments that are being made at the board meeting and and whatnot are do not represent um the full community uh all of us here in the century york school district
0: so protests are how it started. So how did you educate community members? I mean, you said that, you know, it didn't represent all of them. So how did you get in touch with those folks who were, you know, leaning towards, you know, your guys' way of thinking?
1: I think that naturally, once the news, the local news media started to kick up um, and catch wind of our our actions and our activism, um, that's when some articles started to get uh, released and produced, um, and I think that's I know how Jamie um, and some of the other folks started to show up at the protests, and they would connect with myself, um, and then it would go from there. That's how I think it really broke. And then in 2021, how the students, full students, and by extension the families of those students heard about it was um, a local York Dispatch, uh, which is our one of our local papers. Mm-hmm. They released an article. Um, you know, saying that the resource ban went into, officially went into effect.
0: Gotcha. So Patricia, my, my question for you is why do you think all this is happening now? I mean, we've seen book challenges in the past. It's not a new thing, but the quantity of the challenges and the outright book removal is sort of unprecedented. So what's different? What's changed, do you
2: think? People of color are waking up. Mm-hmm. Um, the social media that's come out Some of the racism that has always been there and been suppressed is bubbling to the surface. And it's seen on TikTok. It's seen on the news. People have phones and you're recording it everywhere. So where black people were taking it on the nose in silence, where no one would believe you or where it was covered up, can't be hidden on a video. Hmm. Being black in this country is like having a, a walking form of PTSD. When this all came to grips in the summer of 2020 with George Floyd, I was in full retreat. I was going to bow my head and go about my business until the Paru kids started to kick up a little bit. And I thought you have to protect them. People can mess with me. And I usually don't have a problem with that because I go to my happy place and ignore stupidity. (laughs) But if you mess with kids, I am a mama raging bear and the full power of hell will fall upon you. <laughs> um, so that that's sort of what it was for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, it was a waking up and, and BIPOC people are waking up to realize that what has happened to them really isn't okay. It, it it needs to stop. I'm not asking for extra rights as a black woman. I'm just asking for equal rights. That's all I'm asking. I'm asking to come sit at the table and eat with everybody else. That's it.
0: So do you think, um, I'm trying to figure out the book challenges themselves. Is this a, as you know, Re- Renee said earlier, is this just people being scared and frightened and uh, you know probably a large amount of ignorance that is causing this book challenge to bubble up they don't know how to keep things the way they are
2: <laughs> right I don't even want to call it fear I don't want to call it fear and I don't want to call it mental health because a lot of people talk about Karen's in terms of mental health racism is not a mental health diagnosis it's just downright ugly this is just ignorance this is a oh can't we just all get along? But what you are trying to hide is trauma, Mm -hmm. trauma that has never healed. If you think some of this history makes black people proud, it does not, it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them bristle as well. But these are the lessons that we need to talk about the ugly that exists in the closet so that we can talk about it and we can teach our children and we can say to them, this is what this looked like. And it is up to you that it never happens again. Um, And that is so, so important. No one asked you to come be ashamed. No one asked you to feel any kind of guilt. We want you to bristle. We want you to feel uncomfortable too, so that we can move forward and these things never happen ever again. Mm -hmm. Good points.
0: Do you want to add
3: anything, Renee? Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it needs to be talked about, it needs to be discussed. And people have a misconstrued um, idea of what we're going for, what this means for African-Americans and for people of color in this country, it's ignorance. It is being scared, but these things need to be talked about. They need to be shared. Mm-hmm. But care- Joe,
2: if I may, yeah, it, it's, it's a different kind of ignorance too. There, there might be a, I'm scared because I don't understand that. But there's another kind of ignorance where I'm just going to go with the mob and what they tell me, and I'm not going to find out myself. For instance, the book, Not All Boys Are Blue by George M. Johnson. Um, That's a pornographic book. We actually had a member in our community go to the police station and (laughs) say that we had this in our school district. They laughed at this woman behind her back um, and said, you need to go talk to your school. Not one of these books is even in our district yet give me a few months (laughs) but in any case when you talk to people they're talking about four pages of a sexual assault that took place in this book out of a 340 page book you're going to focus in on four pages of pornographic knowledge which does not exist and when you talk to someone who has read the book and they tell you this person was being sexually assaulted This book is about how they had the courage to come forward from that sexual assault. Because we recognize and respect the victims, right? Unless they're black men and they're queer, right? Mm -hmm. This book was about coming forward because someone was sexually assaulted and how they came to grips with who they were and how they survived. And when you tell that to some of these ignorant people who were obsessed about these four pages because they heard about it on Facebook, their face starts to shift and they're like really why don't they tell us that what do you mean why didn't i tell you that why didn't you go look at it for yourself our school board president the former school board president jane johnson she took a big step she bought the book she started reading it and she started to shift she didn't come all the way over to the fence but she started to shift and to realize that the book was not nearly what some of these ignorant people were trying to portray it to be. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we've seen this a lot at these school board meetings where a piece of text is taken out of context. I mean, you're not seeing it in light of the entire story or the narrative and it's, it's a tactic that's been used in the past too. Right. I mean, I don't want to date myself, but I remember Judy bloom books were dissected in that manner too. Yes. Right. So this isn't something new, I guess. I'm, I guess, what I'm trying to figure out and the reason I'm doing these episodes of the podcast is just to figure out what has changed now. And one of the things that I've noticed is that in the recent press coverage, um, there, there, it has been revealed that there is a, an incredibly high level of organization and deep pocket funding behind the conservative groups leading this wave of book bans and education gag orders, such as No Left Turn in Education and Moms for Liberty. And I think this is hardly a grassroots movement. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I look at you know groups like Peru and and, and the folks in Texas doing work, um, people all over the country. There's a lot of student groups. So, you know, besides distributing the banned books and selling the merchandise and the letter writing campaigns and the social media posts and the protests. What more can groups like yours do to build similar alliances and coalitions and develop those deep, I don't know that we'll ever get to the deep pocket funding, but the level of organization. So like, who are your allies? And are, are you reaching out to other student activists? And what kind of support do you need? I mean, I just feel like there's a really a, a big opportunity to bring all of these groups. I think students are just incredibly powerful. Their voices are powerful. We've seen this time and time again in our country. So, you know, how, how are, what, what's this happens since, since September? with your work, and then, you know, maybe reaching out to other student groups.
1: I mean, I can speak to the fact that we were fortunate enough to speak and get connected with the King Center, so Dr. Bernice King, mm-hmm. um, I, I would say that's a great place to start. Um, I know that they're doing a lot of amazing work and trying to bring this together, and um, And they were a huge asset. Um, We got some training and they provided some trainings for us and um, education on what it means to really build a a beloved community. Um, I think that's huge. I know PEN America has been a big asset, um, a group that we've really relied on for help and connecting, and they're kind of on the same trail you are with this. Um, And I, I, I think that but you're right there is this kind of missing link about um you know how and we've reached out to south lake Uh, we had some connections with the folks in south lake Mm -hmm. um that haven't really amounted to anything but we we've reached out and connected with them Mm -hmm. um but i do think there is this um vacuum uh where this is happening and something unifying is needed because i do believe as renee was talking about eventually we're going to need to get to this point where whether we like it or not um some tough conversations are going to need to be had Um, and, and, and the yelling and the, the threats and the, the, the code words, you know, those folks quite honestly should, they really shouldn't necessarily, if you can't handle the conversation, then, you know, I don't think that you're not willing to work on it. Um, we have to find some way to not be partisan about this, um, and to be unified and and kind of agree on a common narrative, which. Um, I think is 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 always the challenge and to something that's bringing us together. We also connect with a group called Red Wine and Blue. Mm-hmm. Um they have connected us. there they have they have been a great resource for us. Um, and connecting uh, with some other folks. And they're working closely with some of our parents and our community members who are not students, obviously, um, just to help get the word out and help empower the parents um, of, of some of our students and others. Um, so, I mean, I would mention those um, three or four entities, mm-hmm. uh, but you're right. There is kind of a little bit of a vacuum here um, in terms of and or a need for some sort of unifying group or force that would you know bring people together in in some way because I think right now people are just trying to pull and connect pockets of people from across the country so we're I feel a little bit behind with where you know those other groups like no left turn and etc are so Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important and I just want to echo this point about that you know these are you know these coordinated attacks that you mentioned um i mean down to the pdf printed out um you know we saw that in 2020 here where they would it would be the same letter being submitted to the board meetings but and it would be just from six or seven people um and it felt like oh my gosh what's happening i remember feeling like oh, what is happening to our community where are the other voices Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it just took them a while to to wake up and Patty's talked about that a lot, about how the importance of of those of us who are, you know, the community members who say this is wrong, we need to start standing up and speaking up in some mm-hmm. way. And hopefully these groups and entities will help with those connections.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I I do know about Red Wine and Blue and South Lake, and I will definitely include those resources in the show notes for this because um, uh, I've actually even reached out to those um, folks as well to maybe come on and talk. But um, it's good to know um, about the King Center because I wasn't aware of that. So thank you for bringing that to my attention as well.
1: It's a great Um, site. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'll definitely take a look and and put that in the show notes as well. Um, Patricia, I want to take you back to an interview you did with um, KESQ Channel 3 News um this was, i think back in 2021 I can't, when i say 2021 it seems like a million years ago um, <laughs> um, you said there are teachers looking over their shoulders wondering if someone's going to be at the door darkening their door saying you said something you mentioned uh you mentioned something or you use something that you were not supposed to and then then you also said in that same interview i i have to now with this resource ban think twice about whether or not i should or could use a james baldwin quote as an opening for my class so this gets back to this idea of, I mean, I think you're both sort of concerned about this idea of self-censorship and soft censorship um, and, and I'm also thinking about librarians um, in this process as well when it comes to book selection. So are you, in fact, seeing this, doing this, hearing about this? And Renee, I want to get to you, too, if you've experienced of it, any of it or maybe mm-hmm. have a thought that might be going on. So, you know, Patricia and Ben, what are you seeing? What are you, what are you experiencing?
2: So some of my children from another club called The Beautiful People, it's the Gay-Straight Alliance at our high school, Um, they were upset with some of the choices in the library for LGBT kids. I mean, it's very sparse. Um, I'm lucky enough that my debut fantasy novel came out in November, and my agency wanted to sponsor a wish list of books to send to our school to enrich the LGBT sources that we have at our school, books. And who better to know books than literary agents? Mm -hmm. And my literary agent is Sarah Megabo, who was voted the number one sci-fi fantasy acquisitions agent by Publishers Weekly. Who better to know books? Okay? Mm -hmm. And I was sort of put off for two or three months here now um, about Everything's on hold. Resources are on hold. And one of my kids sort of shamed me and said, Miss, if the Mm -hmm. library won't take the books, then you take them. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had to pause because there's going to come trouble with that. They're going to come red flags with that. And that's why you're sort of looking over your shoulder. I'm looking over my shoulder. But those books are going to come. That wish list is going to go live in about a week or two Mm -hmm. and the backlash is going to come and I sort of welcome it. I also teach creative writing and I have a lot of LGBTQ kids that come and take the course and I encourage them to write about their experiences and their journeys. And I have always feared that somebody is going to come and say, you can't do that anymore Mm -hmm. or that's making kids feel uncomfortable. And I'm not okay with that. Mm -hmm. And the moment that happens, I will dig my heels in, draw the line and dare somebody push me off of it because I will advocate for those children until I have no breath in my body to do so. So that's where the looking over your shoulder comes in. me as a black woman, can I talk about my experience with my book and how I grew up in a white world, I rode horses for goodness sake, I still have horses. You know, I came to my own exorcism through the writing of my novel to appreciate my blackness as who I was and not an otherness. Am I not allowed to talk about that experience because it might make someone uncomfortable. Get over yourself is what I say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And for, for me, um, I think when we did that, that was a, I think that was the CNN, our, uh, report that maybe got re-put through there, but, um, Either way, when I said that at the time, that was during the uh, that was after we received an email from our administration Mm -hmm. saying that we can no longer do not use these materials. They are banned. Um, Do not use them. So at that point in my mind, um, if I continued to do that uh, or did that, then I could have received some sort of reprimand. So after they released the band and and dropped that, um, I feel that, yes, by nature, it's gone, so to speak, but there's still a specter hanging over my head and a lot of people's heads about, like, well, is this conversation, you know, going to get me in trouble that comes up in class? Or if we're reading a, a scene that maybe, you know, talks about anything, it talks about death or... You know, we're doing a project in the acting two class, and we're reading scholastic writing pieces that were submitted by students across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And you know, it's post-pandemic or during pandemic, you know, writings, and they're 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 it's it's kind of dark. I mean, it's talking about surviving and swimming through, and it talks about addiction, and and it talks about some things that these young people are writing. And every once in a while, a thought will cross my head and and say, you know is this going to, you know, be too much for someone or is this going to cause a problem? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think there's just that natural inclination where you're not trying to, you know, uh, indoctrinate or, Mm -hmm. or, or share this, but like, I'll, I'll, I'll share this too. Um, Basically after the first round of protests in 2020, when I started to get right to no requests filed against me, I kind of pulled back a little bit. I'd Mm -hmm. never had that happen to me in my 20 years as an educator. And Um, So I was a little bit worried and concerned that things were going on and there was some intimidation. And so um, I didn't talk about anything related to the book ban or what was going on or even celebrating some of the victories and things that we were doing because I was worried about that. Well, you know, you're using class time to do all that stuff. And just recently, um, so it's almost been a year uh, or so more, I mean, almost two years since um, since 2020 I've started to kind of talk about that and say like, hey, we got here, check out this interview and look at what, you know, we got some awards and like in the community say, I wanted to share this with everybody. And, you know, and kids are asking some questions. So I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable about it. But that was two years of kind of like, worrying about what's happening. And there's no question that in all departments, English, history, and other parts, I've talked to many history teachers, had a conversation with one today, where if I'm teaching anything, is this gonna come back to me like I'm forcing some sort of my black experience onto my students? Or is this gonna come back to me that it's gonna be spun that you know, I'm somehow anti-American or something like that? That's a very real thing. Or a resource that I'm going to use, um, you know, is this going to somehow get flagged? Um, and so that, that, that pressure, they have been very successful In that the 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 concerted effort in these schools has been successful by creating, like you said, a soft censorship where there's at least a worry and concern about, like, "Mm, you know, this is important, but you know, is this going to be something I should share? And that's also sending home letters. You know, a lot of teachers will send home communications about stuff about these things. So even being proactive sometimes can be scary. So we know an English teacher. We know an English teacher that's looked at thinking about taking the words feminism and Marxism, uh, Marxist theory, out of um, something we do in English literature, where you read from a different critical lens. Um, Even just the phrasing of feminism, feminist uh, theory, and Marxist theory um, as a critical lens to read and interpret texts, um, you know, rephrasing and rewording that so that it would come off a little bit less, you know, uh, jarring or whatever that means.
0: It's it, 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 and that's what I'm sort of getting at is that residual fear that, you know, from, you know, from what happened initially to, to today. And 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 I just it, it I just think it is a chilling effect on the entire profession.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. I, yes.
0: So so I want to know, Renee, have you as a student, have you been aware of anybody being any teachers being careful or any self censor, any self censorship or soft censorship happening in either classroom or the library?
3: Yes, I have definitely noticed it. When the book ban first, or the information about the book ban first, came out from the um, York Dispatch, and we started protesting and news spread very quickly, I saw that a lot of teachers were scared to say anything. They were scared to support. I had teachers who would pull me aside and say, between me and you, like this doesn't go anywhere else. Like, we don't say this, but thank you for what you're doing, you know? Or I've had teachers who say, I know you guys. You're not supposed to talk about this, we're not supposed to do this, but COVID's still around. Hey, maybe social distance. Stuff like that, that you don't think teachers should be concerned about saying, but they are. A lot of teachers are scared. Teachers are afraid to tell the truth. Um, The truth is that they are pulling stuff. There are books that are missing. Um, Libraries aren't receiving books like they used to be, or at least aren't accepting certain books. Those things are happening, but some teachers are afraid to say anything or afraid to speak up. They're afraid to let their voice be heard because this is serious. Um, As Mr. Jackson, um, yeah, Mr. Hodge, I'm so sorry. Mr. Hodge was (laughs) saying about the right to know request. um, There are teachers who are afraid that their jobs will be lost. And that's a very serious fear. A lot of the parents in at least our community who are attacking this issue or are coming to the school board meeting saying these things, they're relentless. And they will come for teachers' throats, not as much kids because, well, actually, now they're starting to come for some kids at our school, too. So we don't know about that. But for the most part, they've left us kids alone and because I guess that's too far for them. But they will definitely attack teachers. They want teachers to be out of their jobs if they aren't civil servants and aren't following this particular political view. It's a whole mess, and teachers are afraid to get wrapped up in it. Personally, I think it's so sad, especially when there's so many teachers who want to help, want to support. And even if they might not necessarily agree with us on everything that we're doing because they might have their own opinions, there are some people who just want to have conversation. They just want to talk. Why are you protesting against the book ban? Why do you think this is affecting your education and teachers care about those things that's why they're teachers and when that fear comes in and takes away that ability to have those conversations it's detrimental to the student and to the teacher. Hmm.
0: Okay well you've let me cut to the chase then. (laughs) We're about Hmm. seven we're about seven months out from when um, all this sort of went down in your school district and and then the wave of book banning really started to, you know, ramp up. So I'm curious if you, you know, you've had time to reflect on this. You've done a lot of interviews. So I'm curious if you think this is just about the books. Is there something larger at work here? Is public education under attack? Mm, mm, oh, yeah. Of yes. Course. <laughs> yeah. And I know in my last um, podcast, I, I kind of said the books were the easy target. But I think I've come to the conclusion that publication, a public education has become the easy target.
1: Uh, that is something that we discovered and i was thinking about uh a lot through uh where it just kind of dawned on you that it it i think it's a double-edged sword for sure Mm -hmm. i think they're using that the books are the easy target that's the start but when you start doing the math and connecting the dots and understanding the majority i can say pretty strongly the I would say a, a decent amount of pushback in our community, especially originally in 2020, the loudest voices were were from the, the homeschooled parents in our district. Now, mm-hmm. I have no problems with people who choose to homeschool. I have no issues with that. I have no issues, as, even as a public educator, I have no issues with people who want to choose to send their kids to private or charter schools. I have no issue with that. But it clearly started to it'd be, I started to, you know, I call it puppy dog moment. I kind of tilted my head and I was like, <laughs> hmm, this is interesting. What's really at play here. And it's, it's clear that there is. Yes. Concern about these materials because I do believe there is a social, there is a fear of, uh, you know, a BIPOC voices and there is a misunderstanding and a trying to control that narrative of what it means to be an American, as if the, our BIPOC folk in this country uh, aren't Americans and don't have an American story, that it's just not unfortunately linked with what's being you know, narratively pushed. I just feel strongly that there is that part of it, but it, I do believe that it is, if we can somehow get uh student uh, vouchers for people and, and to defund public schools without them coming out and saying that's what they want to do. They want to bog things down. They want to slow things down in committee after committee. And they want to like, well, everybody, every parent in the district needs to see the curriculum before it's approved. I mean, logistically, that's almost close to impossible and just a in a, a pipe dream uh and not saying that parents shouldn't care and know what's going on in their curriculum but uh in the student's curriculum but to to I'm not. I don't go to you know the law enforcement and tell them how to do what they're doing because I'm not trained in that. You know, I just kind of accept that that's what's going on. And if there's something wrong, I'll make something a uh, problem about it. But I just think it's really it is. I think an attack on education in a new way.
3: Mm-hmm. I would just like to say, if I may, um, when people forget that the human mind and the human will is one of the strongest things on earth. You can have money, you can have power, you can have prestige, but none of that will top the human mind and the human will. When you look at history, some of the most catastrophic events, some of the most like important social movements started with changing people's minds and their ideas. Once you get people on board, you can even see this in today with the per- current political situations that are going on. Once you get people on board with your ideas and with your Um, beliefs and your topics and things that you want to talk about, that's where real change happens. So I believe that the idea is we want our children to be raised a certain way. We want this political idea to be the forefront of American politics. We want this to be what America looks like. Let's have them change the way that they think and to see that this is right, whether it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. They want to change the way that we think because that's how you get real movement. You can see with all these political leaders, all these politicians that want to have this power and control over everything, once you step to the right people, but when they have that in their mind that they're not going to stand for or that they agree with you, that's where that movement comes from and people forget that. So it definitely attack on our education because in order to get the movement that they want, the area and the space that they want in America, they're going to have to change our beliefs. And if we stand up and say, no, we don't agree with what you're doing. No, that's not what we want to learn. And we keep on pushing back and they feel that resistance. They have, they're not going to win Mm it. They have to come into our schools. They have to change the way that we think. They have to silence certain things, silence certain people in order to get their ideas across.
0: Well, I can tell you right now, I don't think any, none of you will be silent. No, no. no. If if
2: I could, if I could. That heartens me greatly. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Um, The ruin of a nation really does begin in its homes. Mm -hmm. And you're correct. This is a concerted effort to destroy public education. One of the mistakes that education made was in going with the philosophy in business. The customer is always right, because Mm -hmm. that's not always true. And we've seen that growing trend. Um, And what some of these people don't realize is that if they cause the damage that sinks public education, there are a lot of services that are being offered to children that Mm. will not be offered in the private sector. Uh And what I mean by that is special education will be gone. You want a 504 for your child's ADHD? No, I don't think so. You'll have to pay extra for that. You need a speech therapist, you're going to pay extra for that. And then there's this ignorance. We have a misguided community member who wants inclusion taken out of the schools. And she's misguided because she feels that inclusion has something to do with diversity when it's two different things. When you eliminate inclusion, you eliminate autistic children. You eliminate life skills children, any child with a neurodivergent issue, deaf children, whatever it might be. And that's a very ableist ugly ableist behavior, and it needs to go away. And going back to something that Ben talked about, which was this transparency of can parents see what teachers are teaching? That's been available to them Mm, to look mm -hmm. at any time. Mm -hmm. And these congressmen and senators that are blowing smoke of everybody's tail about we need more transparency. It's available to you at a click of your, your button, a press on your phone. But here's the problem, Zoe. These people are starving in their ignorance and you can take the happy meal of knowledge and put it in front of them. But if you don't unwrap the burger, shake the fries out of the carton and put the straw in the soda, they're not drinking. They'll sit there and they'll starve.
0: Yeah, or they'll read you the little passage that they want to out of the book that tells you it's a pornography. It's a piece of pornography. Yes. Yeah, 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 totally with you. Well, I wanted to ask, I don't know who's best positioned to answer this question. So I'm going to assume it's Ben, maybe not. But what, what is the latest on that curriculum review process, right? Like the, I mean, those books are still sort of, I think frozen was the word I heard, but not removed. So is there an update on that?
1: Well, as I've said, uh, we, there is still a lot of debate, and uh, I, I've been watching a lot of board meetings since 2020, which is something that I would encourage anybody listening to this if you're looking, one of the best mm-hmm. things you need to start doing is you need to start paying attention. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me in 2020, where we caught wind of things. And to be honest, we've been kind of checking the board meetings out since. But I would, and so based on the latest, what's happening here, and this is all public record, you can go back and, and listen to this. Is there, as I said earlier, there's it seems to sound there seems to be some stalling uh, with particularly mm-hmm. our math curriculum. Um, suddenly, you know, it's too much money. And if it's not the money, then it's, well, we need to be really sure we have all the data down, but all the data that we have has been showing it. It, Oh, it has an equity statement. I think there was a concern at the last boarding board meeting. Well, they do say that, uh, you know, on their website, this new company we're thinking about has a diversity and an equity statement. So we, mm, do we really want to be dropping money towards that as if that has anything to do with whether or not they have a good math program or not, um, which it, that work had already been done. So, you know, we still, um, uh, the, the curriculum that was written and proposed in 2020 is, I would say, it is not in, in action right now. Um, it has not been reviewed mm-hmm. um, and it is kind of locked into what I said the other day in a little bit of limbo uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like we're, and teachers and, and as Renee said, you know, teachers, and then by default students are, instead of getting an updated, you know, refreshed curriculum uh, for the teachers that decided to rewrite, um, we're operating on one that's a little bit uh, backdated a little bit. So I I, I I, don't think Patty, I mean, is that a, a, a accurate representation of where we're at?
2: Patty, are you there? Um, yeah, um, I, I was just waiting till he was all done. <laughs> um, the books have been restored. The the book ban, freeze, whatever semantics some of the people want to use, those books have been restored. And what's really interesting is um, several hundred of those books are being delivered to schools all this week, elementary mm-hmm. schools, like I Am Rosa Parks um, and that sort of thing. My concern is that resources have been frozen mm-hmm. in – that the district is looking at ways to properly vet these books that are coming into the district. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got professionals who have 150, $250,000 invested in their teaching degrees. And you're trying to tell me that they're not good enough to vet these books that are coming into the district. What, what are you saying to these professionals? Um, so that's a real problem to me that we don't trust you know, what is going on. And we're also violating some uh, First Amendment rights for our students by trying to figure out, can we have parents cut off certain books they can't read in the library? Mm -hmm. That goes against everything that the American Library Association stands for. Mm -hmm. Um, So we might be in for some other battles, some insidious battles on the down low. Mm -hmm. I I welcome it because it just, it needs to stop. Well, we
0: see the same issue happening with librarians all across the country. You know, librarians who are, who gone and got degrees, whether they have endorsements or they have masters in library information services and sciences, it doesn't matter. Um, they're being second guessed. Um, yes. mm-hmm. Collection development is what they do for a living. We spend a lot of time understanding how to do collection development. We work with students to make sure that we're building responsive collections and inclusive collections, diverse collections, and we're seeing all the book challenge policies basically being completely ignored and the removals, yes. are, the removals are just happening outright. So, you know, we, we, not only are educators being overlooked for their expertise, but the librarians who are educators also are also being overlooked as well or per, sort of pushed to the side. So um, I've wondered if you guys had have been in a position yet to think about any sort of legal moves or it just hasn't gotten to that point yet.
2: We've been very fortunate that um, the ACLU has been taking care of Ben and I mm-hmm. um, because our positions did come under fire. They're um, still very, under fire. Still, oh, my. Yes, very much still <laughs> under fire. Um, and the ACLU is just kind of hovering. They're just kind of waiting for a misstep mm. where they can step in and they can rattle the sabers and make a correction. Um, so I'm not real worried about it. Um, We have the connections. I'm worried about folks who don't have that connection. The ACLU is so backed up and jammed up with stuff that's going on, the voter suppression stuff, Mm -hmm. that if you don't have an in, it's very difficult to get your voice heard. Mm -hmm. We were lucky enough through um, someone through our union, the um, PSEA, um, to get that connection directly to a legend at the ACLU that had taken on one of the local districts in the area.
0: That's good news.
2: Yes, and he's awesome.
0: Well, I also noticed the ACLU did send a a saber-rattling letter to the Granbury ISD in Texas. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but some students were at the recent board meeting reading excerpts from that letter that the ACLU sent to the district, which was, yeah, was removing books like crazy. Okay, um, you guys have been so generous with your time. I have one wrap-up question for Renee, and then I will set you free. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Renee, do you have any activities or events or programming planned moving forward um, for the group? I mean, are students planning on any next steps? Well, yes, we
3: have a larger group at our school that's kind of like a branch. Well, it's actually a, it's a group; it's the union of all of us. It's the officers and with around sixty. 60 to 65 students in the school and it's like a larger paru group we Mm -hmm. meet every day six at our school that's one of our flex days like a club day and we're actually right now planning on ideas for our diversity celebration Mm -hmm. our district usually does a diversity celebration i believe they didn't do it last year but they have done diversity celebrations in the past and it's a great community event is to bring everyone together. It's to help to highlight different cultures and different groups of people within the school. So our group has been working on ideas for that. We've had some great ideas. We have some great artwork come up. We have a bunch of artistic students. We've had some writers come up and share poems, um, spoken word, any writings that they've done. And so that's really what we're focused on as a larger group, And mm-hmm. continuing to learn and to teach. In our day six meetings, Mr. Hodge leads a reading group where they read a book called, I believe, I hope I don't get the title wrong, is this book is anti-racist, is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yep.
3: yeah, I wanna make sure I didn't get the title wrong. But yeah, they read and talk about these anti-racist discussions and it's important. Mm-hmm. These type of um, groups are not really welcomed in most public schools, but they should be. And they continue to open that dialogue and that communication for, and for students to learn and to express their experiences with racism in the school and within the community. So that's really important. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Other than that, we're just continuing to spread the word, continuing to bring the school together. We want to reach out to as many teachers, students, community members as possible, and let them know that we're not here to attack anyone. We're not here to hurt anyone. We're just here to teach, to love, to grow, and to bring the community together. That's really what this is about. So yeah, really just the diversity celebration, continuing to educate and continuing to reach out to people.
1: And Renee, talk to Zoe about the beautification process that came out of uh, Jasmine's suggestion and what we've been doing in our hallway a little bit.
3: Oh yeah, um, we had students suggest to buy, um, to buy posters and to um, buy like these motivational messages to put up in the hallway. We've gotten some artwork, that, or a poem actually, that a student wanted us to put up in the hallway. So we've been decorating the school. We even gave out some posters to teachers. We had some motivational posters that were written in Spanish. We did those to the Spanish teachers. We just been spreading the joy <laughs> and the love all across the school and everything in the hallways, just kind of like brighten up the mood. Mm-hmm. Usually we get into the second semester, students are like, okay, when is this When is this wrapping up? But <laughs> brighten up the hallway, brighten up people's mm-hmm. moods. And they're actually really cute posters. I'd love to say that Mr. Hodge and the rest of the officers and the whole group did a great job picking out the posters, so that's been nice.
0: Well, you guys have brought me some joy because it's been a kind of a dark time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, every, every day brings something heavy. And so, um, and as I know, I, I do these podcasts for my listeners, but I do them a lot for me too, because it's an educational experience for me to, to learn and understand what's going on out there and to have hope. So you've brought me a lot of hope. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for um, giving me your time today. And um, I will let you know when everything's published.
1: Great.
3: Thank you for having So us.
1: before, <laughs> before you close, thank you for having us. And I oh, just sure. want to say, keep up the hope. Okay. <laughs> keep the faith. And, um, you know, I'm also talking to myself here and all of us, I mean, there's probably multiple times per week where we're, 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 we are connecting with each other and we're reminding each other to stay in it. Um, and it matters. And I've had people ask me a lot recently, You know why did you do this and why are you doing this especially you know as a white cis you know straight male Mm -hmm. um you know why what what put you over the edge and i said you know i've come to the conclusion recently that this is the right thing to do Mm -hmm. um and to bring you know just remember john lewis what he told us all that and this is on the back of our peru shirts that if you see something that is not right We have a moral obligation or not just we have a moral obligation to do something about it, so um, I think it's he's been really influential to us and it's just a reminder for all of us to stay the course and it means a lot that you reached out to us um, and we're willing to speak with us, um, and I hope that this brings some joy and some hope. Uh, to to your listeners, and we're glad that it. And you also brought some joy and hope to us as well. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you guys. Um, and yeah, get in some good trouble.
1: Yes. No. Oh,
3: definitely,
2: Zoe. Um, I, I was interested in knowing if I have a um, a besieged middle school librarian companion out in Washington State, and I wonder if you'd be interested in contacting him. He doesn't have a paru. He doesn't have any kids to help him out. So he has been fighting this battle himself and yep. been a target, um, but he's been successful, but they're still at him.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I will contact you once we get offline here and perhaps you can send me the contact information.
2: You got it. You okay. better believe it. And thank <laughs> you so much.
0: Okay. Thanks everybody. And have the great rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Day. Okay. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
2: Bye.